You can turn your Bibles over to Mark chapter 10. Mark in the 10th chapter. There's a man who was reading his paper early one morning at the breakfast table and his wife looked over at him and patted him on the shoulder. She said, I'll bet you don't know what day it is today. And he answered, of course I know, and went on reading his paper. He actually had no idea. But he knew how sensitive his wife was to special days and special occasions that would come up, and he didn't want to be seen to have forgotten, lest he get his wife upset. So he, uh, he went on, on to the office, and while he was at the office, he ordered some flowers, some white roses, and he had them sent to his wife. And he thought, well, you know, I was thinking it might be her birthday, and flowers would be okay if it was her birthday, but if it's an anniversary... I don't know if the flowers are enough. And so he stopped by and he got these expensive chocolates. And he brought them on home. And so he comes in the driveway and his wife bounces outside and runs up to him, gives a big hug, hug and kiss. So he figures that she liked the flowers. And he had the chocolate in his hands and he gave her the chocolate and she just was so absolutely thrilled. She says, honey, this has been the best Groundhog Day ever. <laughs> Oh, the things that we do when we forget stuff, huh? All kinds of trouble. There are times in life that we start some things in motion and we wish we wouldn't have. (laughs) There are times in life that something got started in motion, not by anything that we did, and we wished it wouldn't have. And we just want to say, you know, make it stop. (laughs) Just like this guy at the table, all all those things are going through his head and... uh, tension he was feeling. We sometimes just wanted to make it stop. We've started a series on, am I stubborn or am I steadfast? Am I locked into the things of God or am I locked into something else? We started this out looking at the things that the enemy wants to do, that the enemy, he gets out there and he tries to pervert the Word of God in us. We saw that he wants to deceive us pervert the Word that's in us, steal the Word from me, or kill the life of God in me. Basically, He wants to neutralize us from being effective. And He tries all these different things, and if He can't get some of these things to work, if He can't get us deceived, if He can't get us perverted, if He can't get us to steal the Word that's in us, if He can't kill the life of God that we have, then what He has to do is try a slower process and make us to become stubborn to the things of God while thinking that we're steadfast. And if He can deceive people into thinking this, then the word that they hold on to dearly will be the wrong word and they will be found resisting God instead of being in a place to receive from God. We want to make sure that we don't get into that spot. In Mark chapter 10 and verse 17, Now as He was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before Him and asked Him, Good teacher, What shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Now, we first want to look at who this man is. This story is accounted in a number of places in the Word of God. Matthew, when he recounts this story, he puts a word on this guy of neniskos, which which means a youth or a young man. Luke calls him an archon, which is first in rank or power, chief, a chief ruler, a magistrate, a prince, or a ruler. He refers to him as an archon. 
And uh, we, I gave you a few other references down here too where we see that. But the Luke passage is in Luke 18, 18. Now a certain ruler asked him saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? In Matthew 9, 18, Matthew uses the same word to describe a ruler. While he spoke these things to him, behold, a ruler came and worshipped him saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. So who was this man who came? In order for that word to be used, he had to have been some type of a ruler in there. Now, Josephus apparently understands this word to, to mean any member of the Sanhedrin. The word that we have in there that describes him as a young man means that he's somewhere under 40, probably not in his teens. So we would say that he's somewhere between the age of 20 and 40, who is a ruler, possibly even a member of the Sanhedrin because of the words that are used to describe him. Now, Jesus goes on and and looks at what he says, Good teacher, what shall I do to inher- that I may inherit eternal life? Now that part there, good teacher, is kind of mistranslated in our Bibles. He does not say good teacher. What he says is this, teacher, good one. Slightly different, isn't it? He's not saying good teacher, he's saying teacher, good one. He's calling him good. He's not just saying you're a good teacher or you're a righteous teacher. He's saying you are a teacher and you are a good one. Now look at Jesus' response. So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. Now some have evaluated this and look at this man calling him God. Acknowledging that he is the Christ. It's not really what he's doing. He's called teacher, good one. That's what he sees him as. But what this man is doing is this man is looking at Jesus of Nazareth as a teacher and he is comparing him to all the other men that he knows and he says, based on my comparison, you are a good one. What Jesus says to him is, your comparison is wrong. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. In other words, you are comparing me to other people and saying amongst other people, I rank as a good one. I am saying you cannot use men as the barometer. God is the barometer. God is the measure of all things that are good. No one is good but one. That is God. So you may compare me to men, but men are fallen. You need to compare what is good to God. And see, that's the problem that a lot of people fall into. We've missed some of the truth that's in this. There are a lot of people who go out and they compare themselves to other people. I'm not as bad as this one. But I haven't done these kind of things. I haven't... And we list the things that we haven't done and we're comparing ourselves with how other people are. But that's not the the issue. The issue is, how do we stack up against God? You know how we stack up against God? (laughs) We don't measure up. We don't measure up. That's why we need a Savior. So Jesus challenges the comparison saying that the measuring stick is God. Verse 19, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he answered and said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Now, how many have ever gone through the Ten Commandments? Does he start with the first one? Does he start with the second one? Does he start with the third one? No, he goes further, pretty far down the list before he starts. Now, isn't that interesting? What is the first commandment? You shall 
He missed that. He skipped right over it. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. Soul, mind. You, you, but he skipped that. You shall have, he skipped, you shall have no other gods before me. He skipped quite a few. And he doesn't mention them. He just mentions these. Look at what he mentions. Because understand, with Jesus, nothing is by accident. You know, we sometimes stumble upon wisdom. But he is wisdom. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. What is interesting to note about these commandments that he recites, every one of them has something in common. What you do to others. When Jesus said, when he was talking about the greatest commandment, someone came, what is the, what is the greatest commandment? He said, what is the greatest commandment according to Jesus? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest commandment. He says the greatest commandment. If that is the greatest commandment, why does he leave it out of this list? But then he comes up and he says what? The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Let's read the commandments he read again. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. The two greatest commandments that Jesus himself said are the two greatest commandments are missing. (laughs) Don't you think that's odd? I mean, he's not trying to give them the whole law. He's just giving them a couple. But if you're going to give somebody a couple, why don't you... Give him the two greatest ones. Because Jesus said after he mentioned the two greatest, this is the greatest commandment. And the second, not quite up to the first, but the second, just about like it. Shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these hang all the law and the prophets. So if everything hangs on those, all we really need to do is mess with those two. He doesn't even bring them in to the list doesn't mention them, doesn't bring them up at all. He leaves them out. All of these have to do with our neighbor. They are really the ones that hang on the second commandment. The second of the greatest commandments. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Not a single one of these commandments that he reads hangs on the first course, if you love God, you will do these things. There is that connection to it. But he doesn't deal with any of the commandments that have to do with the, the loving of God. So he says, you know the commandments. Do not, do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. That's how you know he's not quite that young. He's not quite down into, the, into that section. I've kept all these from my youth. Now, some of us might want to challenge him on this. Well, we probably have missed it somewhere. The word for kept or the word for observe, depending on your translation, is a word that means, it was used in the classical Greek as a military term meaning to guard or to watch. And it was used of sentinels who were keeping guard. It was used here in connection with keeping of the commandments. 
It refers not only to the act of obeying them, but so to the, to the, uh, solicitude for their preciousness and honor that leads one to carefully guard them from being broken. It means to take care not to violate. So that's what he's saying. I have taken care not to violate these from my youth. I've been attentive to them. Now, Jesus never teaches that you obtain righteousness through keeping the commandments. But he's asking how he's done on these things. And the man says he's done okay. I've, I've observed these things. He's not saying he's perfect on it. He just said, I have been, since I was young, and I found out about these things, I have kept my attention on them. Verse 21. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. The word here that is used is a form of agape, but it's a form that actually means to suddenly look on something and become very affectionate to it. When I was thinking about this, the image that came to my mind is how many times have you gone into a pet store and in the pet store was a little puppy? You had no affection for this little puppy before you walked into the pet store. You didn't know that this puppy or this particular puppy existed. But all of a sudden you get into the pet store and you see the little eyes looking up at you and you hear the little noises that little puppies make. And of course, a little puppy wants you to hold them and so they're jumping up. And if you go, are able to get near, they lick you. They are just very affectionate towards you. And all they want, oh, just hold me, just play with me. And if you take them into the room, because they all have a little room that you can take the dog into, because they want you to fall in love with the dog and to go home with the dog. They don't care what happens after you get home with the dog. They just want you to take the dog home. That's their goal. So they have the room for you to be there and and they know what puppies do. They give you the toys. And you go into the room and the dog has the toy and they all know each of the little puppies and they know this puppy likes this toy and they give you one of the favorite toys that the dog has, the little puppy has. And you get on in there and you see how fun he is and how excited he is that you're there and he's just always all over you, just looking you and just excited. He's just thinking, man, people. (laughs) And he's just, you're just having so much fun and you fall affectionately in love with him. Have you been through that before? Seen that? Maybe some of you have it with cats. I don't relate to that one as well, but I can relate to the puppy one. (laughs) If you want to think cats, you can go ahead and do that. Hamsters, guinea pigs, whatever it might be. Now, I'm not calling this rich young, this this ruler here, we're not calling him a, uh, a puppy dog or a hamster or anything like that. But that's the kind of love that is talked about here. It's not saying that suddenly he fell in love. He he decided to love him. He he had a fond, affectionate desire for this man. Oh, he saw inside of him. Oh, this this man really wants to do something. This man really wants to become something for God. He's been zealous for God for a long time. He's been working to turn his life around and make his life the way it needs to be. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him. Now, Jesus, this is the man who has the ability to hear conversations that go on in your head. How many times does the Word of God tell us? And Jesus, perceiving their thoughts, answered and said. (laughs) They're thinking stuff and he answers their question. That's pretty cool. How many of you ever been in a situation where you would like to perceive their thoughts to that level? (laughs) So that you could answer them. And we're not quite uh, there with all. But Jesus could do that. He would be in a group of people and he would know their thoughts. Or if they're whispering stuff together, he'd know what they said. 
if this guy knew these things about it, don't you think if this guy had something false about him, that Jesus would have picked up on the falseness and answered him the way that he did so many other rulers? It would not have said, Jesus, looking at him, loved him, and said to him, one thing you lack. One thing you lack. Oh, for the day. How many of you would like to have that day come when Jesus wakes you up in the morning, wakes you up in the middle of the night, shows up in your living room while you're there by yourself, and walks in and just says, I've been watching you and I just got this fond affection for the way that you've been trying to conduct your life. And I just am here to tell you this. One thing you're lacking. One thing you are lacking. How many of you would like that day? Oh, just Jesus show up and say, there's one thing you're, you're doing great. All around, I mean, I'm really look at the effort you're putting out there. But there's one thing you're missing. Remember last week we were talking about that coach who comes alongside you and helps you out? Tells you the things that you're missing. Tells you what you need to do. You need to do this. You need to do whatever it is that he, he comes alongside, helps you out. This is what you're missing. Oh, for the day that Jesus would show up himself and say, all right, you're lacking something. Here it is. He's not trying to tell you to figure it out. Like Ethel was telling in her story. All she needed was the screwdriver or the, the thing to put in the right spot and start right up. All that, all the, one thing she, oh, wasn't that good news? One thing you lack to get this thing started. You just got to, oh, that all we got to do? All right. And, and, and got it done. Jesus comes up to you and says to you, one thing you lack. Even if we had it to this degree. What if a boss came up to us and said, you know, we've been looking at you, watching you, observing you. We really want to see you go far in this company. We have our eyes on you for promotion. And promotion is coming up soon. And as we look at the qualifications of the person we want to promote and we compare it to you, there's only one thing you lack. What would you do? I focus on that one thing. What is it? What is it that I need? Do I need a degree in something? Do I need to take a course in something? Do I, do I need to change my attitude about something? Do I need to work up a, have a better relationship with somebody in the company? What is it that I need? I mean, wouldn't that be music to your ears? One thing I lack and you're telling me now so I have time to get it ready to put it in place? One thing you lack. If Jesus were to come to us and say one thing we lack. How many times, if, if we picture this, we aren't thinking there's just one thing. If we're thinking that Jesus is going to show up in our house and talk to us, we're, we're ready with a pad and pencil. <laughs> Let me write down. Number one. Okay, go ahead. Number two. Number three. I got extra pages. We're ready. I mean, fire away. Just tell me what it is that I'm missing. <laughs> we're ready. I'll change. I'll get rid of this. I'll change that. No problem. Get, we're just starting to write stuff down. But he comes to us and says, one thing. I Means all you got to do is focus on one thing. This is it. Focus on this one thing. The man's got to be excited when he hears that. One thing, one thing, one thing. I've, I've known I've been, I just feel like I'm missing something. One thing. Oh, this is good. What is that one thing? Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, now notice this, Jesus is loving him. He's just, oh, this guy's all right. Can't you tell when somebody just has a fond affection for you? And someone who's kind of bitter? 
angry. He can kind of tell, oh, Jesus likes me. And he says this in a way that you can tell he likes you. That he has his loving affection for you. I can pick that up. One thing you lack. Oh, what is it, Jesus? Just tell me what it is. Go your way. Sell whatever you have and give to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. Now, we've gone over this story before. We've made note of this. He does not say this to everybody. The end, follow me. He's only said it to a handful of people. There's a whole lot of folks who follow him, but they were not asked. They just decided. <laughs> they just said, we're going to follow Jesus. But there's a, there are 12 of them that he asked. You, come be my disciple. There's a whole lot of disciples who followed him, but only 12 of them did he ask. And now we have number 13. When he picked the 12 before, it was after a night of prayer. And he came back to all the people who were following him. And he picked 12 of them. And they became the ones who were the, the closest. Out of the 12, there were three. And that's how it was for quite a while. But then this man came along. And he says, now if you're one of the disciples, you've heard these words. Come follow me. You're thinking, oh, I didn't know. I thought it was kind of closed. I didn't know we were still at it. We want more? Jesus, if you want more, I know some people. I got a brother over in... Something about this, this man that, that had a picture. Now, here's what's really interesting about it. I don't know that he could have become one of the twelve because the Bible talks about twelve. That bases everything off of twelve. There are twelve tribes of Israel. There are twelve disciples, became twelve apostles. But as, uh, you know, the, the day would come when one of them was going to be replaced. And if this guy would have taken it up, he may have been the one who replaced them. May have been. Go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up your cross, and follow me. Whew. Do you remember what commandments he left out? All the ones that dealt between him and God. All he dealt with was the ones that dealt with him and people. As far as this man and other people, he was solid. You tell me to do anything for other people, I'm there. I'll serve them any way that I can. I'll help them. I'll love them. I'll teach them. I'll do whatever it is that I can for other people. You just tell me. And he's probably coming to Jesus thinking, what do I need to do for other people? And so Jesus answers them in light of that. Dealing with other people. And the man says, oh, good. That's what I've been focusing on. I'm good with, I'm good in this way. I've done this since my youth. Verse 22, but he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. He was sad at this word. One thing you lack. All you got to do is focus on one thing. This is it. Work on this. And he heard it and he was sad. Doesn't mean that he never made it to heaven. It doesn't mean that he, he stopped following after God. It just means he wasn't ready to let this thing go. What happened was that Jesus knew what area he was resisted in and picked on the areas that he was not resisted in that all that God needed to do was to speak to him 
about his relationships with other people, and he'd fix them. He'd straighten up. He'd do whatever God said to do towards other people. But as far as his relationship between him and God, he did not realize that other things had gotten in the way. And that no longer was God God. But he had violated the commandment that says, you shall have no other gods beside me. Because money had become elevated. And he wasn't willing to give it up. He was resistant to hear what Jesus had to say in this area. Jesus spoke to him. Only one thing. But the man resisted it. Did it have an impact on his life? Had a huge impact on his life. His life didn't change. His life went on the way that it was. And he knew that his life needed to have a change or else he wouldn't come running to Jesus. Remember, he came running. If you come running to something, you want to get there. Some of you came running into the building here this morning. That had to do with more of getting out of something, <laughs> probably. <laughs> but you can understand, you know, when you go running to something, you need to get there in a hurry. Because something's happening and I need to be there for it. And he saw Jesus or whatever it was that sparked in him and he came running, the Word of God says. Knelt before him. But he got up and, oh, sell all that I have. Now, if Jesus is telling you to sell all you have, it's, it shouldn't be a hard thing to do. I mean, just do it. God said so. I'm not, it's not something I'm feeling. And don't think that everybody who has stuff needs to go out and sell stuff in order to do what God said to do. He's talking to this man. He's not talking. He didn't say ever, all of you lack something. He said you. Now, when the disciples came and followed after him, he didn't tell them to sell all they had. He just said, follow me. And they followed him, but they still kept the stuff that they had. But this man, he said, sell what you have and then come follow me. I was meditating on this section, this idea for quite some time. Because I wanted to know, how do we maintain a hard heart? How do we maintain a hard heart? How many of you know how to maintain physical health? Do we know how to maintain physical health? Now, exercise, eat right, get to the rest you need. You know, there's, there's things we can do to maintain physical health. If you're going to maintain physical health, it doesn't mean, you know what? I haven't exercised in a while, so tomorrow I'm going to exercise for eight hours. Make up for it. <laughs> you all laugh. <laughs> I haven't eaten healthy for a, a while, so tomorrow I'm going to eat healthy. That'll take care of it. No. Maintaining health means you maintain it. You continue to do the things that you need to do. You don't just do it once and then forget about it. You maintain it. How do we maintain a hard heart? Because a hard heart, just like a soft heart, requires maintenance. It doesn't just continue. It needs maintenance. Your car needs maintenance. Your house needs maintenance. Your body needs maintenance. Right? I mean, some maintenance is easy. Taking a shower in the morning, that's maintenance. It's easy. <laughs> some people don't do it, though. Brushing your teeth. Isn't that maintenance? Combing your hair. Those are easy things. You know, getting checkups and eating right, those are more involved maintenance, but they're all maintenance things. They're all things to, to deal with our, the maintenance that we have. 
three reasons. I meditated on this for a while and came up with three reasons that we maintain a hard heart. Maybe if I meditate on this some more, I might come up with some other ones. But every time I came up with some other ones, it all seemed to fit right in with one of these three. So I'm not saying that, you, that this is an exhaustive list. I'm just saying this is what I came up with so far. You may think on this and God may give you something else. The first reason that we maintain a hard heart is I believe I'm right. Now, it is not wrong to believe that you are right if you're right. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's not wrong. It is not wrong to believe you are right if you are right. It is a problem if you're wrong. But if we are right and we don't maintain that rightness, we become wishy-washy. That's, that's bad. We don't want wishy-washy people. I don't want people who think one thing one day. And You know, politicians are famous for this. They get in front of one group of people. They get in front of the women's group and they're all about women. They get in front of the men's group and they're all about men. They get in front of the minority group and they're all about that particular minority. They get in front of Iowa and they're all about corn. You get over in Detroit and you're all about the auto industry. You get over in the south areas and now you get more into the into uh, growing things. You get into the north area and now you're about production. You get into the coastal states and now you're about oil and natural gas offshore. And you become different things for all these, these different groups and they become wishy-washy. You change with the wind. We want people who know what is right and believe that what is right is right and stick to it. Too often we get this idea that I believe I'm right and instantly we think, well, you must be wrong. But you know, you aren't if you're right. There are some things that you are 100% right about. And there are some things that you're not. But unfortunately, we don't always know. We believe. We do the research. We check out some things. How many of you have ever gone out to buy a new car? And you researched it. You looked at all the different models. You looked at all the things that were available to you. And you came to the conclusion, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to buy. Whatever, whatever appliance it is, we're going to research it. You know, uh, a year ago, two years ago, something like that, our, uh, we had a church event and our grill caught on fire. And we had to buy another one. And so I researched and I researched. Then I researched. And I like this one, but then I researched and I found out that won't last very long. And I researched this one. Well, no, that won't do very long. And I actually bought one and ended up taking it back and before I even used it. Because we had a problem before we even used it. Took it back. And finally, we settled on this one. I settled on this one, I should say. My wife didn't wasn't as settled on it as I was. But I was settled on it. And so I got this particular grill. And we got it on home. And we cooked some steaks on the grill. Dear Lord, they were the best steaks I ever cooked at home. I don't know what it did, but it just changed the way that steak was. We, we, we did not get expensive steaks. We got fairly inexpensive steaks. And oh, it was good. And I went from dreading cooking stuff on a grill to what is there that I can grill? <laughs> I got excited about grilling because now suddenly grilling was fun. Stuff didn't just burn. I actually had temperatures. 
And what was really neat was the girl came with directions. I had directions for it. And, uh, you know, I was able to download them right to my electronic device and, and they gave you videos of how to do what they were talking about. And I found out there was all, there's all kinds of ways to heat stuff on a grill. It wasn't just make it hot and go. <laughs> there's all kinds of ways. And so like, well, for this thing, you want to heat it this way. You want to do this. And oh, the food was coming off better and better and better. And, um, you know, that, but that's not, the grill that we got is not necessarily the best grill in the world. In fact, when I went to a couple of places and was asking about grills, I said, is there a way, without getting this one, I don't really want to get that high end of a grill. What do you have? And they said, that high end? (laughs) Apparently, their bottom wasn't starting where my top was. (laughs) They went a whole lot higher, which I just didn't quite see. The uh, I'm sure that people who buy those kind of grills uh, enjoyed them immensely, but... We didn't do that. But you know, you research it and you, you, you look and you study and you figure it out and you, you get to a place and you, you feel that you're right and you make the decision. And then you stick with it. That's what we need to do. But we've got to be careful that I haven't decided on the wrong thing. And so what the devil wants to get us to do is to begin to question. Did I do the right thing? Did I go in the right direction? I've told you my experiences were uh, uh, two jobs that I had that I know God told me that's the job. I'm not saying that there's only one job in the world for you. I didn't go into these jobs pursuing the idea that there's only one job in the world for me. I went into, when I told you the story, I went over to Tulsa. I went into, I had three places I was going to apply at. I went into the first one and left there after filling out the application so all I did was fill out the application, no manager. Went over in the direction of the second one and God spoke in my spirit. He said, why bother going anyplace else? That's where I want you to work. So I did the most logical thing in the world. I turned around and went home. Why waste time applying other places if God says, that's where you're going to work? And it took uh, you know two more visits to finally get the manager. When I got the manager, he hired me on the spot started the next day. And I started working there for a couple months and I was determined that this was the worst job I had ever taken in my life. It was horrible. There were drug deals going out in the back. There was conversations between waitresses and cooks that I had never heard in my entire life. There was immorality going on in the place. And I was shocked that God would have me work there. The manager was dealing drugs himself. And I was, you know, things weren't going great over at Ramah. I wasn't enjoying myself. They were not challenging me at all in the things of the word. What they were teaching, I knew. And I was beginning to think, you know what? I think I just missed the whole thing of coming out here to begin with. And I was ready to pack it in and go home. Ready to, I just missed God on the job. I missed God coming around here. I think that's just, I'm in the wrong spot. But I stuck it out. Stuck it out and all of a sudden it turned around. They fired the manager. They got somebody out. We actually ran the store for a while ourselves with no manager in the store at all. Got to know the area agenda manager. He would pop in every once in a while. We got to be good friends and he made sure that I was promoted after that. And he made sure he watched me throughout the whole process. And when I was ready to leave, he came down, had a face-to-face with me and said, is it the money? He says, if you will stay, I will guarantee that you will be in the office in three years. And if you got in the office of this company, you were set for life. Day job, 
car, and they paid well. For what they paid in that city, they paid well. I would have been set for the entire life. I would not have had to find another job or go anyplace else. But I was sure I missed it. Absolutely, positively sure. I was down. I was depressed. I didn't like going to work. Never had that before in my life. I never had it one time. And then I came back after all that came on back and I just took the first job I could get selling suits. I sold suits, enjoyed selling suits, but they weren't paying a whole lot of money. They paid some, but it wasn't a whole lot of money. And so I said, God, I need a job that's going to pay me better. And I listed a number of different things. And sure enough, a job came along that did just that. And so I took the job and it was the worst job in the entire world. I hated the job. I didn't like the job at all. There was one day I got out there working on the job and you know they were showing me the route, how to go. And they had no second seat in the truck. So I had a folding chair that was in the back of the truck. And we did this in the, in the month of January. These particular trucks had, did not have heat. They blow hot air on you. But they do that for the driver. Not anyone else. And I'm in the back in a folding chair. Now, you know what happens in a car if you sit in a folding chair and the person stops? That happened often. It was not fun. And I'm sitting, I remember that day sitting in the back there. It, I got so cold, it got down to my bones. I shivered for several hours after I got off work and was in a warm building. Just shook, shivered. The cold got that down, that deep inside me. And I was, this is, this is a bad job. Bad job. This is no fun. I was not enjoying it. Not enjoying it at all. But I stuck with it. It eventually became one of the best jobs I ever had. Oh, I loved that job. Couldn't wait to get to work. Couldn't wait to get out there and sell horseradish. They eventually started paying me to go down to shore. Glory to God. I didn't know that people paid you to go down to the shore. <laughs> then they paid me to go down to shore and stay overnight. And they paid for the room. Glory to God. Can this get any better? <laughs> Oh, it was good. But you had to stick it out. Just because God says to go in a particular place or do a particular thing does not mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean that everything is going to go great. It means I heard from God. This is what God said to do. I'm going to do it. Now, you want a couple of other examples? Moses. Did he not hear from God? Go down to Egypt and take care of my people. How was that for him? <laughs> Did he have trouble? Did he get discouraged? Did people come after him? He had the Egyptians mad at him. He had the Israelites mad at him. They're all grumbling. He's off there by himself. No one out there helping him out. His wife got mad with him on the trip and went back home and took the kids. I mean, this is not working out the way it was supposed to. He's got to be saying, I had it all right. I had a family. I mean, my needs were taken care of. And then you came along with that burning bush thing. <laughs> I'm doing just fine. What's up with this thing? Hey, but Joseph, did Joseph have the call of God? Did God say this is what's going to happen? And when he starts talking to people about it, all kinds of trouble breaks out. And he goes down into slavery, then into prison for a long time. This is not the way it's supposed to be. Jeremiah got words from God. Can you imagine getting the words? I mean, we're not just talking about thus saith the Lord, you will be blessed in all your ways. Go. No, we're not talking about that. We're talking about specific words. About specific events. 
And he got in so much trouble, they beat him, they put him in places he didn't want to be. He was discouraged, he was upset. How about Paul? Paul would listen to God and God say, go over here and preach the gospel. And they'd beat him. <laughs> go over here and preach the gospel. And they'd beat him. Now go over here and preach the gospel. I'm beginning to think, God, wherever you say to go, I think I'm going someplace else. Because <laughs> every place you pick, it's bad. But he didn't do that. Even when God said, don't go over here, go over here. He went. He had the hardest time in that area that God told him to go. That was tough. That was Philippi was the first place he was He was at. That didn't go so well. We get this notion that when God says to go into a place, it's all going to be peaches and cream and we have ice cream at nighttime and it's just all great. But I have to believe that I'm right. Because I'm not going to hold on to anything. I'm not going to stick with anything unless I believe that I'm right. And so I have to hear what God has to say and I have to receive what God has to say and I have to believe, God, what you said was right. Now, if I missed it, then I need to fix that. Three reasons we maintain a hard heart. First, I believe I'm right. And when God tries to correct me, I resist. No, 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 I'm right. I'm right. Have you ever talked with people and you share with them what the Word of God has to say about a situation? But they believe that they are right. And you can't shake them off of it. How many people do you know who believe, well, God won't send me to hell. I haven't killed anybody. I haven't robbed any banks. They're comparing themselves to other people. Like we were talking about earlier. You can't do that comparison. You've got to compare yourself to God. That's what righteousness is. But they're comparing themselves to other people. Well, I don't believe God will send me to hell. Okay. Because they believe it. Therefore, they think that they're right and not going to change. Have you ever run into people that you can show them from Scripture to Scripture to Scripture to Scripture to Scripture to Scripture to Scripture that Jesus heals? And they still believe God makes people sick. But can you find one place in the Bible where God made anyone sick? No, but I believe that's what He does. But I can show you that Jesus came to do the will of the Father, which was to heal people. Yeah, but I believe. And you just want to bang your head against the wall. It's like, oh, Brother Hagin used to tell us, ignorance gone to seed. <laughs> Even in the face of insurmountable evidence, I'm going to believe this way. See, that's a hard heart. You're resisting the, the wrong things. If the Word of God tells you, you're wrong. Don't do that. You need to change right away. David, when he heard the Word of God and received it, changed right away into sin with Bathsheba. Paul, when he received the Word of God, Paul, why are you persecuting me? He changed right away. It pays to change right away when you're wrong, but not when you're right. First off, I believe I'm right. That'll hold you back. Here's the third, here's the second reason. I want something. I have decided that I want something. How many times, and you can go through the Word of God, the something can be all kinds of things. The something, like in this situation, can be money. I want the rich lifestyle. I want the big house. I want the big chariot and horse and whatever else he's got out there. He's got a Mercedes of chariots. He likes having that. He doesn't want to have to get down into the Chevys and the Stuff like that. The key is 
Things like that, right. Doesn't want to step down here. Wants to stay up in the level he's at. He's earned this kind of thing. He's been buying a certain kind of meat. He doesn't want to be going over to McDonald's anymore. He's thinking these things. I want something. I want this kind of lifestyle. I want this, and I, if I give that, I'm not going to have that. And I want that. Samson, I want certain women. And I, 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 that's what I want. And I don't care. And what happened to it? Change it. Israel was told, if you do, if you allow those women who serve other gods to live among you, they will turn you away. How many of them then said, oh, no, 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 they won't. <laughs> Didn't work. Because I want something. Samson said, that Philistine woman is beautiful. Or those Philistine women, they're beautiful. David, Bathsheba, whoo, she's beautiful. I want that. Solomon, he saw that, he saw a thousand Bathshebas. I want that one. And 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 the Word of God tells us that the women drove his heart from God. This is the guy that God had given wisdom to. Women are just corrupting influences. That's all there is to it. <laughs> oh my. Now you know where Paul came out with his teaching. No, the Word of God tells us that a righteous woman is a blessing. But you get into the wrong kind of woman? It's bad news. Now the same thing might be true for men, but the Word of God doesn't tell us that. So. <laughs> no, it was always the warnings from the fathers to the sons and we didn't get a whole lot of... Uh, even the mothers would have warned the sons about women. Bathsheba warned her son. You know, be careful. There's, uh, there's some of them women over there. But you know, there's men that can pull women down just as much as women can pull men down. And you need to, to be careful about that. Because I want something. I want that relationship. I want what that thing has. I want this. I want that money. I want these prestigious things. There's something that I want. And when God's Word comes to me and says, sell what you have, give up that, turn away from, don't do, on the inside, what do I do? But I want that. And we almost take a step, but I want that. But I should have that. But I deserve that, but that's mine. But I, er I earned that. I worked hard for that. Why do I have to give that up? And as soon as God speaks to me in that area, now I know that some of you men are out there sitting there and you're thinking, all right, I feel God dealing with me. I will give up my wife. But that's not what he's saying. <laughs> and you women want to give up your husband. That's not it here. No. We're not talking about that. You're married. That's why you got to be careful before you get to that spot of being married. Make sure you pick the right one. Make sure you listen because once it's done, there's problems. I believe I'm right. I want something. And because I want that, anytime that a word comes to me, that takes that away. I am resistant to it, just like this man was. The Word of God came, sell what you have, give it to the poor. See, if you sell what you have, you still got the money, you can go out and get it. He didn't say, he said, sell what you have, give it to the poor. 
In other words, get rid of it. Cut off all ties to it and then come follow me. If you do that, what do you have to get it back again? I want some. I, I want that. I can't get it back now. I believe I'm right. I want something. Or I resist the direction. God is trying to lead me in a particular direction. Jonah was a good example of this. Jonah, God said, I want you to go in this direction. And Jonah said, I am resistant to that. I don't see the wisdom in going in that direction. I'm going to go in this direction. And that didn't work out so well. When uh, Jeremiah was giving the word of God to Israel, they said, don't go, don't fight, surrender. And they said, no. I think we should fight. We're resisting that direction. And, and that didn't work. I believe I'm right. I want something. I resist a direction. Now to sum it up, it's this way. First off, it's beliefs. Even if the end result is not something I desire. And this comes into, into place. How many people do you know? Surely no one here. But in other places where you interact with people, you would come across some people who believe that the sickness or disease that they have is from God. I don't want it. I don't like it. But I believe that it's from God. And therefore, are resistant to any word that says, God does not want you sick. And they resist that word. They will resist it. Because obviously, I've been this way for a long time and obviously God wants me to be this way. This way, otherwise it wouldn't be this way. Even if the end result is not something I desire, if my beliefs have grown into unchallengeable, unchallengeable truths, I will resist. I will resist the changes. If my beliefs have grown into unchallengeable truths, I will resist all changes. That's the word, wrongly worded. There, you can change that up. I will resist all. There's no change that I will accept because this is what I, I don't like it. But this is what I believe. And I'm going to stay with that. Peter, for a long time, believed certain foods were unclean. And God came to him and said, Peter, rise and eat. Oh, not so, Lord. Mm-mm. And Jesus, and the, the vision was, the Lord came down and said, Peter, what I have called clean, don't call unclean. And this happened three times. And then the people came to the door and he perceived what it meant that he was supposed to go with them. So the first thing is beliefs and sum it up. The second thing is things. Because of my focus on what I desire, I resist any change that would take that away. I want that. Anything that's going to take away that from me, I resist it. Because I want that. I want that job. I want that house. I want to move here. I don't want to move there. I, whatever it is, I resist it. Because of my focus on what I desire, I resist any change that would take that away and even shape my beliefs around it. Because of that, because I believe, because I want this so badly, I will begin to find beliefs, build principles off them that allow me to continue to do these things. Hophni and Phineas believed, well, we should have whatever women we want who come through here, we should have them. And we should have whatever meat we want, not just the stuff that the Bible says. The sons of Korah. They believed we should be in that position. They, they wanted it. They wanted that thing. And they began to shape beliefs around why they should have that thing. And those beliefs were not found on the Word of God. But this sounds right. We should do this. 
Beliefs, things, and direction. Beliefs, things, and direction. I either want to go a certain way or refuse to go a certain way. One or the other. I either want to go here or I refuse to go there. I'm not going there or I want to go there. And if I want to go there and God... Nope, God's keeping me back from it. Or I don't want to go there and I feel God's leading me to it. So much so that people a lot of times get the idea that if I don't want to do it, it must be God. If I want to go in that direction... That can't be God, because I want to do it. God doesn't want me to do anything that I really want to do. He always spoils all the fun. If I want to go that way, it mustn't be wrong. But putting defenses around my reasons or belief, we, we, by putting defenses, I put defenses around whatever it is that I have. I, I put up walls. I get some cannons. I get some men with swords to guard these beliefs. And as soon as someone comes around and wanders near one of these beliefs that I have built up to establish the direction I'm going is is okay. As soon as they come near it, boy, we fire everything. You ever been around people like that? They fire everything at you because you got near something. You started to challenge a belief that they have that's uh, guarding one of the directions they have. By putting defenses around my reasons or beliefs and hide from others anything that would contradict. These folks are really good at understanding what is not right and they hide that from you. I understand this is the problem area, so we will just hide this. Just put this somewhere where you can't see it. And if you do see it, oh, they get upset. They don't like that. Because they know it's wrong. This is, the, this is telling you, you're missing God. You know you have to hide that from people. You know you've got to keep that from people seeing it. Hmm. Verse 23, Then Jesus looked around and said to His disciples, How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at His words. Why? Because they were rich. Almost every single one of them was rich. So they're a little surprised. They're saying, wait a minute. <laughs> Hold on a minute. Hold on. You know, that would be like somebody coming into Philadelphia and saying it's a hard thing for Eagles fans to get to heaven. What? What are you talking about? You know, it's something that you has always been a part of you. Jesus has known. He knows I'm rich. He knows I have a business. He knows I have boats. He knows I'm a tax collector. He knows where I live. He saw my house. He knows I have money. And you're telling me this now? After we did all these years of service, now you come up with this doctrine? And the disciples were astonished at his words. Can you imagine their faces? They hear this thing. It's hard for rich people to go to heaven. <laughs> Just. <laughs> and he's, he's looking at their faces. And, you know, being the perceptive person that Jesus is, realizes they need more explanation. He realized that they were having a problem with this. But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. Now, if you have any marginal notes on this, you will see that on some of your margins that they say that the trust in God part that was added later on. Anybody have that in theirs? Okay, good. You don't have to throw it under your Bibles. There's a certain uh, 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 gatherer of manuscripts for which I don't hold any respect for that has challenged this. And if you ever see the NU or Nestles is what it refers to, I don't really respect the Nestles 
grouping of, of scriptures because of their bias. There's a bias that they have on the, the, where they got the stuff from. So I like the majority text, which is what the King James Bible is founded on, which is what the New King James Bible is founded on, which is what the New American Standard Bible is founded on. But if you have one of the other ones like the NIV, that's founded on Nestles. And so they will they'll have the, those textual questions in there. And so some of them say, well, this was added later on by the translators, and some of those ones that are based off of the Nestles reject this and actually pull that wording out. But if you're Jesus, are you not giving a better explanation? If the people, if you said it the first time and they don't get it, they heard you, but they don't get it, what good does it do to say the same thing again? What he's saying is, all right, let me make this clear for you. I'm not just talking about people who have riches. I'm talking about people who trust in the riches. How hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. Let me ask you this question. Do you have to be rich to trust in riches? No, you don't. He just widened the whole thing up. There's a whole lot more people who qualify now. He says, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. How many have ever heard about the eye of the needle gate? We've all heard about that. However, the text of both Matthew, Mark, and Luke do not support that thought. The text of both Matthew or all three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all of them support this as being a phrase of an actual literal needle in an actual literal camel. I know there's some great teaching that comes out of that gate that's called the eye of the needle and how you got to strip down the camels and the camel has to get down on its knees in order to get... It all sounds wonderful good. And all the teaching that comes out of that is probably true teaching. There's nothing wrong with the teaching that come out of that. But that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is it is easier for an actual camel to go through the actual eye of a needle than it is for one who trusts in riches to get into heaven. So what he's saying is, it's basically impossible. It's probably a phrase that they had that went around that, that time and they understood it as a phrase. But the idea is a trusting in the riches, not having. Because you need to trust in God. This man did not trust in God. He served God. He served people. But he didn't trust God. Because if he trusted God, when Jesus said, sell all that you got, give it to the poor, come follow me. Okay. That's a trust issue right there. But Jesus looked at them and said, Jolly was mentioning this earlier today, with men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. Is he saying that with God, a camel can go through the eye of a needle? What he is saying is, if you have riches, you can get into heaven with God. He does not care about camels getting through the eyes of the needle. He cares about people getting into heaven. He said, with God, it's possible. With God, it's possible. We can get you to get, stop trusting in those riches. Peter began to say to him, or Peter, Peter began to say to him, See, we have left all and followed you. Jesus answered and said, Surely I say to you, there is no one who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels. Didn't say sell. Said left. That's what they did. Who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. <laughs> And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. He says, with men it is impossible, but not with God. My hardness of heart is maintained by the thought that I can only get, have, or obtain what I want if something begins or continues. If I don't continue maintaining this belief, 
if I don't continue pursuing this person, if I don't continue to pursue riches, money, I'm not going to get this. I'm not going to have this. And God says, you need to just trust in me. You are hanging on to those other things. You are hanging on to relationships. You are hanging on to people. You are hanging on to houses. You are hanging on to jobs. You are hanging on to things that I have told you, let it go. Or you are about to let go of something that God said, hang on to it. And we are resistant to what God has said because of a belief of a thing or a direction. And I believe that those things are right. What we have to do is get ourselves to a place that if we are heading in a direction and the direction is wrong, as soon as God says, no, I stop. As soon as I stop pursuing something, I stop. Abraham had one of the biggest tests of trust when God said, Abraham, take your son, your only son, whom you love. Take him up to the mountain and sacrifice him to me. So Abraham didn't go the other direction. He didn't resist the word of God. He packed up his son, packed up the stuff they needed, and he went on. Tied up his son, got the altar all ready, and was ready to use the knife on his son. And God says, no, all right, I just needed to see if you were willing. As long as you're willing, I can be willing to send my son. But that's all I needed was somebody in this earth who was willing to sacrifice and give their son. Now I can give my son for you. That's all we needed. There's a, there's a goat over there. You can go take that. What blessings came to Abraham? And what blessings will come to us if we but trust him? If we trust him. As soon as we get into those areas. Now notice that Jesus when this, with this ruler. Go over and read the story a few times. You're going to keep seeing stuff in it as you go on through. How Jesus masterfully in his conversation with the man avoided the whole God-man relationship. Got him to focus on an area where he was receiving the word of God in. And as soon as he got into this one area, that's when it was hard. See, folks, we're going to have a whole lot of areas where we're, it's easy for us to receive from God on. But what's holding us back is those ones where we're not. That's what's holding us back. I've got to get to where I am ready to hear God on any, anything that He has to say. Whatever He's got to say. I will listen to Him. There are people, even in this church, the people I come in contact with on a regular basis, that believe that Jesus is the healer except for their situation. And as soon as you begin to talk to them about that, they don't, there's a resistance that is there. There is a doubt and unbelief that still resides in people and you're resistant to getting rid of it. I hear it in people's voices. I hear it in the things that they say. I could keep telling you about it, but you're resisting it. You're not listening. You want to listen, you desire to listen, but until you open up your eyes, until you're ready to receive it, until I'm ready to receive it, in the areas where I have difficulty in those, until I'm ready, until you're ready, the word can come and it just bounces right off because we're hard. I don't receive those things. 
We have difficulty in those areas. We tell you each week, if you have a need, come to church and ask for prayer. You don't know how many times I run into people who still expect me to ask them if it's okay to pray for them. Because they want it to be that way. You know what the Word of God says? Ask. Ask. Why? Because when you ask, you're setting that thing. we got to set up an expectation. We're not setting up an expectation. We're just setting a place where I'll just receive something. If you want to give me something, go ahead and give it to me. I'll just receive it. No, you're not. Because you are hard to the things of God. No, you got to become soft to it. I got to get to that place where I become convinced. Father God, if I just ask, if I just go to church and have hands laid on me, if I just say the name of Jesus, if I just confess what the Word of God says here, if I just stand on the promise, that's mine. And all of a sudden, the light turns on. It took Abraham 24 years for the light to shine on him. But the promise of God was his. 24 years. It took Moses almost 40 how long will it take us? Because there are some areas where we receive. I receive from God real good on this area. I receive real God, real good from God on this area. But as soon as he gets into the money issue, oh, it's my money. Or I'm okay with the money. God can speak to me about money. God can speak to me about righteousness. God can speak to me about this and that and changing this and changing that. But as soon as we get into, you can fill in your blank. Is there something that you have a hard time hearing from? That's what you need to focus on. What did, the, what did Jesus say to the guy? One thing you... Did he ever say what it was? Did he, he said one thing you lack. Did he ever say what it was? Isn't that interesting that Jesus would say one thing you lack and never say what it is? And the man never asked him because he was so down about the answer. Oh. I gotta sell what I have? What was the one thing that he lacked? He didn't trust God. Remember what he taught his disciples afterwards? It is hard, or it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into heaven. For one who trusts in riches. Because you cannot get there. You gotta trust in God. Oh, God wants you to trust in Him. He's going to keep speaking things to you. Some of the things He's going to speak are going to be hard to hear. You know what? If it's hard to hear, it is probably a good thing. If it's easy to hear, it's not a big deal. I'm probably already doing it. It's the hard stuff to hear. we got more to get into. There's more that the Word of God has to teach us about this area because this is the area we need to focus on. The 90% of the stuff that we're receiving that we're okay on, that's not holding us back. You know what's holding us back? That 5 or 10%, that one thing. You know, if you have a big ocean liner sailing across the ocean and the hull is intact all over except for one spot, is it good to focus on the areas that are intact? <laughs> Where do you need to focus? Where the water's coming in. That's what's going to take us down. We gotta focus on that one thing. I gotta get the, the hole plugged up. That's what's holding me back. That's what's keeping me from not being happy. That's what's keeping me from not being healed. That's what's keeping me from not being set free. That's what's keeping me from not being financially in the place that I wanna be. There's a hole in the ship. And God wants to say, 
It's over here. Doesn't do any good to find out where's there no hole in the ship. Well, there's no hole. Oh, let's all go over there because it's dry. Because it won't be for long. <laughs> Eventually, the water will find its way all the way around and get into all the places and take the ship down. But God does not want your ship going down. He wants you to be up. We need to find those areas that the Word of God has challenged us in. What have I, areas have I been resistant in? What areas have I been hesitant in? What areas have I not been wanting to give into? I know God's dealing with me on it. And you know what? If you don't answer them, if you resist them long enough, you know what happens to the words that he speaks? He just stops. Just waits. He's just like you. If you've got a, you know, an older child, younger ones you have to keep repeating things too, but when they're older and they're supposed to be doing the right thing, what do you do? You just stop. You don't say anything anymore. Just kind of wait. And they kind of say, how come you're not talking anymore? You didn't want to listen before? Why should I keep talking if you don't want to listen? Why should God keep speaking to us if we don't? We've got to focus on how do I get those areas working in my life. We're going to get into those. Would you all stand up with me? We have some people who ask for prayer here this, this morning. And if the Word of God has been working on you and you got faith, oh, I just need to do this. I've received that Word that God said. And you want to get that thing changed in your life, we want you to feel free to come on up here too.